Well, good morning again. I missed you last Sunday. I was over at our sister church, Community of Hope, in Columbia City, and it was good to be with them, but it's, there's nothing like home, right? And so it's good to be back here this morning, and we're looking these three Sundays at a few of the Apostle Paul's letters. Now, letter writing has fallen on hard times, right? It's a bit of a lost art with the advent of the internet and email and texting and all of this. Um, we just don't write letters like we used to. For example, who recognizes what that envelope is up there on the screen? Airmail envelope. Anybody use one recently? No. Okay, I, I doubt it. Okay, probably not. Uh, you know, email wasn't even a thing. It didn't exist until after I graduated from college. And so when I met Mary, my wife, my freshman year of college... That first summer when we were separated, I was um, out in California working in Long Beach and she had gone home to Hagerstown, Maryland, so opposite coasts. We had to write letters because we couldn't afford the long distance phone calls. <laughs> Hard to imagine. And so, but I, well, how eager I was, you know, to go to the mailbox and see if I had a letter from Mary. And then, you know, I would read it and reread it and read it again. And then I would take hours to longhand write out a, a response. And I look back with great fondness on that time. And somewhere in uh, a footlocker in our garage is a bundle of letters. It's those letters. We still have them from that summer. But even better than that is a bundle of letters that have been preserved for us in our New Testaments. And these are letters uh, from the Apostle Paul. Uh, some of those letters are to churches that he had started, uh, like, the, like Ephesus and Corinth, and other uh, letters are to churches that he hadn't even been to, but he knew about, like like Rome, the church in Rome, or the church at Colossae. But ultimately, they were love letters from God to us. They, they, are for, they, they weren't written to us, uh, but they're for us, and we can learn from them. And that's what we want to do over these three Sundays. We could say a lot about these New Testament letters, and you, you, you learned a lot last Sunday from Tim Sprinkle. The one thing I want to say that's very important is that these letters were occasional Say occasional. Okay, that doesn't mean that Paul wrote them every once in a while. Occasionally. Okay, what it means is that these letters were occasioned. They were, they were um, motivated. They were called forth, if you will, uh, by a certain set of circumstances. So Paul in these letters is addressing an opportunity, a problem, uh, or, or, or responding in joy uh, to something that's happening in that church. And if we're to understand these letters correctly, if we are to interpret them right and apply them in our lives, then we need to understand the occasion uh, to which they were written, the context. If you were to read that little bundle of letters between Mary and me, it would be helpful to know the relationship and the context and the reason for all of that. Now, sometimes the occasion is said very explicitly you can't miss it other times you have to kind of read between the lines to try to figure out what the occasion of the letter is now in the particular case of the letter to the galatians paul says it very explicitly in fact he dispenses with most of the pleasantries 
of conventional write, letter writing back in those days, which you learned a little bit about last week as well, he dispensed with all that and got right to the issue, got right to the problem. And here it is. And you can take your devices, your Bibles, and turn to Galatians. And some of this will be up on the screen and some won't. But we get the problem right in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> so right up front, front-loaded. Paul writes this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So here's the situation. Outsiders are coming into the context and they are corrupting, they are changing the gospel message which Paul had given to them. And we know that these outsiders are what uh, is called, even in the New Testament, Judaizers. Now, these were people who were Christ followers. They, they believed in Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah, but they, but they were Jewish background believers who then also expected and demanded that everyone who was to become a Christian also needed to follow the whole law of Moses, get circumcised, follow the Sabbath, uh, laws and all the dietary rituals and laws and all of it. And in other words, you had to become a Jew first and then you could become a Christian. This did not sit well with Paul. The other day, I was using my leaf blower to blow a nice, you know, all the leaves into a nice pile. And just as I was about finished with that, you know what happened. It was all in a neat, tidy pile, and then, woof, this big gust of wind came and dispensed it all over the lawn again, and a few choice words went through my mind, which I did not utter aloud. <coughs> but Paul is very disturbed by what happened. He had given the gospel, and now people had come in and completely exploded it, and he had a few choice words for those kinds of people. You'll have to read Galatians to find them, right? All right, so what's the big deal? What's the big deal? So let's, let's contrast a bit the difference between the ungospel. Paul says, this is not a gospel at all what they're preaching. The ungospel of the Judaizers and the true gospel which Paul preaches. And it begins with this, the difference between works and faith, works versus faith. What's the basis for salvation? Is it works or faith? Now, a works-based approach to salvation demands conformity and obedience to a list of rules, in this case, the Old Testament law. Do this and this and this and this and this and this and don't do that and 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 you'll be good with God. That's a works-based salvation. The gospel of grace, on the other hand, says that the basis for our salvation is faith in Jesus's sufficient and complete work for us in our place. So for Paul, the center of the gospel wasn't the law, it was the cross. It wasn't dependent in what we do, it's complete dependence on what Jesus did for us, not our work, his work. And he writes about that 
in chapter 2. You can flip over to Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Paul writes this, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified, that's a big word, that means reconciled or made right with, or declared innocent by, by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified, made right with God. How did Paul know? Because we Jews know this. How do they know it? They did years of experience, all right? Been there, done that. That's one of the major uh, ideas, takeaways from the Old Testament is you can't keep the law. You need a savior. You can't do it. And so they know from experience hundreds of years of experience that you can't get saved by keeping the law. You can't do it. The burden is too huge. It's too heavy. You can't carry it. You can't do it. So why on earth would we put this back on people when we know that you can't do it? And we know that, but Jesus, his work is sufficient and complete for us. What I just quoted earlier, Paul says, The only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith. Faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, expressing itself through love. Those who know the love of Christ through faith in Jesus will live out that love to others, and that's what God requires of us. Faith versus works. Now, you might say, I don't know anyone who claims to be a Christian and demands that we keep all of the Old Testament law. Neither do I. Okay, I don't know anybody who claims that. However, the idea, this concept of saving oneself by one's own works is totally alive and well. All these thousands of years later, after this was written, I told you a few Sundays ago about the conversation that I was in where someone expressed this. He said, I believe that good people who do good things will go to good places. What what is that if not a works-based salvation? It's me doing good works. Now, at the very core of this is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. That's kind of the the core problem here. I'm going to achieve righteousness by myself, in, in my own good works. That leads us to the second distinction. The first comparison is works versus faith. The ungospel versus the true gospel. Here's the second one, flesh versus spirit. Flesh versus spirit. A works-based salvation depends, relies on the flesh, our own human strength and willpower. The true gospel, on the other hand, depends on the work of the Spirit, relies on the work of the Spirit to do a transforming work in us and to empower us to obey. So the core, the core deception here is self-righteousness. I want to do it. I have an almost three-year-old granddaughter who is saying this more and more. I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. Some things she can, and some things it's like, no, you're not mowing the lawn, okay? 
<laughs> I want to do it. Now, there's something good about that because you're learning, you're learning things, right? You're growing, you're maturing, you're developing. But there's a little bit of the, I want to do it. That is that old self-righteousness, that self-reliance that is so uh, tricky. And it doesn't matter whether it was kind of Old Testament Judaizers who said, you've got, you've got to be circumcised and keep the law in order to be saved, or it's 20th century religious right conservative fundamentalists in their legalism that said, you know, you can't wear jeans, you can't have a beard, and you can't eat ice cream on Sundays. <laughs> Which I think is still on the books in the one on the lake. Uh, <laughs> Okay, that's that legalism that some of us know very well, okay, we've experienced it 20, 30 years ago. That, that's also a self-righteousness, but it's no different today. By the way, the religious right doesn't have a monopoly on self-righteousness, right? It's a, it's a core problem, a core sin of humanity is to rely on ourselves. So even progressive humanism, secular humanism, creates its own alternative morality and then says you're good if you embrace it. You do, in yourself, in, in your own strength. All right, self And what was Jesus hardest on? He, he, if someone acknowledged their sin and repented of it or, or asked for forgiveness, his arms were open. The people he was hard on were the self-righteous who think, I, in my flesh, in my own strength, in my own self-discipline, I can do this. And Jesus says, no, you can't. You need me. And those who were self-righteous were the ones that were in the most, you know, difficulty, the biggest problem, the biggest obstacle to finding life. Now, this word flesh, okay, flesh versus spirit, this word flesh is a bit of a complicated word in the New Testament, and on one hand, it can refer to physical, material flesh, our bodies, right? But Paul uses the word in another way to talk about our sinful nature, our weakness, our proneness to sin, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Um, <clears throat> and this, this proneness to wander is our, at the core, is our self-centeredness, our self-absorption, our selfishness, our self-righteousness. It's the self that's such an obstacle. Now, which one is Paul talking about when he writes this? Look at chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Chapter 5. Oh, I love to hear the sound of those pages turning. It's nice. Chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. In whose lives are the flesh and the spirit in conflict? In whose lives? Well, not everybody. Believers, okay? Believers. Okay, people who don't know the Lord don't have this conflict because the Spirit's not in their life, right? They're controlled by the flesh. Now, this didn't actually dawn on me what I just said until I was in my late teens, okay? 
so I became a believer young in this church and grew up. But in my teens, in my late teens, I was, I sensed the depth of um, temptation and the desires of my heart that were not right or good. And there was a conflict in my soul and it caused me a great deal of doubt and fear and anxiety and agony. Because I thought to myself, hey, I thought those who are in Christ are a new creation. And the old is gone, the new has come. And the old man's gone. I'm, I, why am I having this tension and this struggle? Why do I desire to sin if I've been a, I'm a believer? And sometimes I thought maybe I wasn't. I thought, oh no, I must not be a believer. Because I have this tension in my heart. Somewhere along the line, I finally read those verses. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. The fact that I have this tension, this conflict in my heart between my flesh and the spirit isn't a sign that I'm not a believer. It's proof that I am a believer. Hallelujah. Okay, now, Paul says here, these things are in conflict with each other, flesh and spirit, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So, So it's like, hallelujah, but wait a minute. That doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want because the flesh is active, because there's temptation, all right? You can't trust yourself. How many times have I told you all, I don't trust me further than I can throw me? Which isn't very far, and it gets less far every year, right? <laughs> and, <coughs> uh, and, and that's because there's still, so what's the solution? Is the solution, okay, well I can't trust myself, so let's go back to the law. Let's go back to the list of the rules, and let's work harder at keeping the list of rules. No, that doesn't work. What's Paul's solution? He says, walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. You've been given a gift. The very presence of God. There's something far, far better than the law. Better than rules carved into stone. As good as those were given from God. They're not the same as the very presence of God in your lives. To have relationship with him. And, and, to, and to let him to govern and control more and more your heart and your di- desires and your mind and your choices. Learn to walk with him. It's not going back to the law. It's learning to walk in relationship with the spirit, with God, the presence of God. I feel rather strongly about this. <laughs> Flesh versus spirit. Here's another one, another area of comparison between the ungospel that the Judaizers were preaching and the true gospel, which Paul was preaching. It's an identity issue. And it's a difference between slavery and freedom. Paul says that when it comes to identity, there's a huge difference between what the, the ungospel of the Judaizers and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who say you got to go back to keeping the law are also keeping people in slavery. How? How are they keeping people in slavery? Well, Paul says... If, okay, fine, if you say you got to be circumcised and you got to keep all of it, you got to keep the whole law. Now you're a slave to the whole thing, 600 and who knows how many rules. And that's just too much. Okay, you can't do it. You're a slave to that. Plus, if you're going to follow that line of thinking, remember, it's, lo- it's, it's the law and it's then it's self-righteousness, it's in the flesh, then you're also going to be held slave to the flesh and the flesh is sinful. Okay, so that means you're going to be dominated by sin. You'll stay in slavery, Paul says. But 
If you put your faith in Jesus and rely on the Spirit, then you are a true son or daughter of God. You've been adopted into his family, and you have a new identity, which is freedom. Look, uh, I think you'll have to look in your Bibles. I don't think this is on the screen. Uh, chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. <clears throat> Paul writes, But when the time... But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You've been adopted into the family of God and been given the spirit of God himself so that you have direct access to God and can talk to God and say, Father, Dad, help me. I need you. That's the freedom that we have is direct access to God, his presence in our lives. And Paul makes a big deal about this kind of freedom. Turn again to chapter 5, verse 1, the beginning of the next chapter. Chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Again, slavery to self, self-righteousness, the flesh, and in that, sin and Satan. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't be a slave. That's not what you were called to. You've been set free. Now, Paul does give a warning here, though, a few verses later. There's, there is a danger in this freedom, and it's that we can fall off the other side of the boat. Legalism is one side. We've already talked about that, but we can also go into license. Freedom doesn't mean do whatever you want to do. He wrote that. He says, hey, because the flesh is sinful, you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. Okay, be careful about that. Look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. There it is. You're, you've been adopted to be free sons and daughters of God, ch children of God. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. You do whatever you feel like doing. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That's, that's what you've, you've been freed up. Not to be a slave to self and its desires, but to serve others, just as God in Christ Jesus has served us. All right? For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's, you have the freedom now, not to live for self, but to live for others. So true freedom is not the ability to do anything we want, anything we feel like doing, whatever comes to our mind. That's what the world says. That's not true freedom. True freedom is the power, empowered by the Spirit, to do what is right. <clears throat> by the way, told you this before, almost all uh, believers who have some knowledge of the Bible know Romans 8, 1, right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And everybody says, amen, amen. hallelujah, praise the Lord, okay? No condemnation, no condemnation, praise the Lord. We, almost nobody knows verses a, a, a bit later that talk about the fact that we have an obligation, and that obligation is not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, our obligation is by the Spirit. In other words, in dependence and reliance and relationship on the Spirit to put to death the misdeeds of the body. That's our obligation. It's in dependence on 
the spirit in the freedom that we have in him. Well, there's one last area of comparison, and that's the result. What is the result of the ungospel that the Judaizers were preaching versus the result of the true gospel which Paul was preaching? And it's the difference between destruction or death and eternal life. All right, turn over uh, to chapter 6. Chapter 6. Paul writes in verses 7 and 8, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, lives by the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. That's a big difference. What are you feeding? The flesh or the spirit? And so I've told you this so many times, but it made a big difference in my life. These verses, Galatians and these verses, made a big difference in my life. Because I I created a really short prayer out of them and and began praying it every day when I backed out of my driveway and started driving down Worcester, or down my uh, road, Arbor Lane to Worcester. It's It's only 15, 30 seconds, you know, it's not a long drive. But I started, and at first I had to really work to remember him, and I kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. And nowadays, it's a little bit like Pavlov's dog. When I put my little truck into reverse and start backing out, this starts coming to my mind. And it's not thoughtless. It's just that it is kind of... um, There's got to be a good word for it. (laughs) It's immediate, if you will. It's unprompted. I don't have to work at it. It just comes effortlessly. Uh, and, and I start to say this, Father, thank you, God, for this day, for your unfailing love and your mercy and your grace and your goodness and your kindness and your gentleness. Um, you're, you know, you're so patient with us and long-suffering. And help me, this is the heart of it, though, and it's from these verses. Help me today, help me, help me, Father, to say no to the desires of the flesh that lead to death and decay and to say yes to the desires of the spirit that lead to life. Help me to listen Help me to listen and to, and to rely on the Spirit. And, and help me to keep doing that all day long until I put my head on my pillow tonight because I'm so stinking fickle. <laughs> By noon, I've forgotten. I have to pray it over again. Okay. But there's a, there's a difference. So we're talking about a relationship. What's the difference? We're talking about a relationship with the with God in us, Christ in us, the spirit, the very presence of God indwelling us. And, and that has set us free. Faith in him has set us free from the penalty, the punishment of sin. It's set us free from the power of sin. But has it set us free from the presence of sin? No, it hasn't. It hasn't. So how do we live? How do we live in the wide open spaces, the healthy space between legalism, falling back into the law and and my own strength and my own power and, and falling off the other side into license, into doing whatever I feel like doing. And the answer is pretty clear in the book of Galatians. And, and here are some phrases that answer it throughout. We see all these phrases. How, how, how do you live in the healthy space between legalism and license? Well, first of all, have you received the Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ? Receive the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. So to please the Spirit. Obviously, what is he talking about? He's talking about a relationship with God. 
who is present in us by his spirit. The, the, the answer is to, is to walk intentionally in the spirit. Now, <clears throat> this is not a passive let go and let God. So um, it, it's something that we choose to actively do. All right, I've done this with you before, but we're going to do it again. Take out your phone if you have it with you. Rarely was the pastor ever going to say those words, so take advantage of it. T take out, I mean, I mean it. Take out your phone. Look at it. Now look at me. <laughs> okay, what, these phones, what do we do with these phones? Think about it. We charge it every night to make sure it's charged in the morning, right? And we make, when, before we leave, we make sure that it's on us. You know, this is my routine when I get to my front door. <laughs> okay, I'm good to go. Okay, so <coughs> if I have those three things, oh no, then I go searching for my keys, which are never in the same place. All right, so, and we, we, keep, we keep it on us, we keep it on us, and we are conscious and aware of it, right? And if it ever gives us an alert, we look at it. And if we're talking to somebody, excuse me, and we, we pay close attention to it, and if we ever need information, if we need guidance, if we need direction, if um, uh, we need help figuring anything out, now it's the first thing we turn to. We go to it right away. It's, it's wow, we need it. You know what happens to people who... Uh, now, I can remember a, a time before cell phones, okay? But there are people who don't. And if you take away their cell phone, what happens? Ah, you know, I need, I'm dependent on, I'm reliant on my cell phone. I can't live without it. You know, and even we who remember a time before cell phones have to admit we like the dopamine rush of getting the latest news or seeing somebody like whatever. Da, da, da. We are so attached to, we have this relationship with our phones. And I've asked before and I ask again, do you think the Holy Spirit might be jealous of our cell phones? Yes. Because we treat our cell phones as more important and more valuable and more powerful than the very presence of God. All those things I talked about related to the cell phone should be our first response to the Spirit should be our first response to the Spirit. Well, what does that look like? How do we develop a relationship with the Spirit? Well, here's, here, here's a list I'm going to take you through. But I'm telling you that this is not a new list of rules. I'm not going to replace the law with another law. These are ways to develop a relationship. These are ways to learn to walk in the Spirit. Okay? And here's a, here's a first set right here. Preach the gospel. Learn to preach the gospel to yourself. The true gospel. The gospel that Paul preaches about uh, faith in the, and, and it's in what Jesus did and it's the spirit and it's not in the flesh and it's not by works and we live fr as free sons and daughters of God with the hope of eternal life. Now, there's lots of ways to do this. I know some people that like stencil verses on their living room or above their door. and I mean, you can like see it in your house tangibly, visibly. Oh, we sang, the gospel was in several of the songs that we sang this morning. Great choices of songs. The gospel, you sang the gospel three times this morning. 
And if you were paying attention, you heard it. And so listening to music that has the gospel in it is a way to preach the gospel to yourself. Maybe a prayer like I just um, talked about, but there, there are ways to, to learn to, to reflect it's not just people who don't know Jesus who need the gospel. We who call ourselves Christ followers also need the gospel every day. It is our life. Rehearse your identity in Christ. You know, we are blood-bought, <laughs> children of God, indwelt by the Spirit, who sets us apart to belong to him, sanctifies us. Here's another one. Uh, pursue unity and community. It's interesting that this, the Spirit is the one who baptizes us together into the body of Christ. It's the Spirit who makes us one. And when we're divisive, when we're, when we are, when we're bitter and angry and jealous and in competition and in comparison and, and gossiping and, and tearing each other apart, then th that is a way to diminish this, the Spirit's work in our lives. But unity, if we pursue unity... That's going to unfold the power of the Spirit. Tonight, communion. A, a chance to practice unity and community. You're invited tonight, 5 o'clock, to the uh, Manahan Orthopedic Capital Center where we will be celebrating uh, foot washing and the love feast and the bread and the cup together and, and all symbols of how Christ works and also in unifying us. A chance also to confess and to make sure that I'm right with God and with uh, the people that I'm in community with. Also, a way to start community even here in the church is right after the service, we have new to WL, just in the office suite off the welcome area. If you're new or relatively new to the church, please come, please come and, be, and begin developing those relationships so that we can, we can continue to work on unity in community. What else? Let me see that list again. All right, confess and repent sin patterns. Um, I, I, I told you that uh, illustration of the tent. And we even put a tent up here one time with a lantern inside that filled it with light and, and, fill, and the light went out. But, when, but if you throw a, a sleeping bag over the lantern in the tent, it gets, the light is dimmer, there's less light. And if you throw another sleeping bag and another sleeping bag and pretty soon it's dark. That's like sin in our life, repeated habitual sin. Is the lamp still there? Yes. Does it still put out light? Yes. But you can't see it in the life or on the outside. And the answer is confession, confession. Next, I have, I have another part to that list. Uh, reading the Word of God. Wow, that's been so great this year. Reading through the one-year chronological Bible. And as you look towards next year, hey, come up with a plan. Do it again. Read through the, read through the Bible again. Keep the conversation with the Spirit going. That's prayer. Pr all the time. Uh, I, I, I'm an external processor. Does that surprise you? And so I, I can't think. It's hard for me to think in a straight line unless I'm talking or writing. When Pastor Bruce says, let's all bow our heads and pray silently. My mind is gee, 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 it's like a squirrel. Gee, 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 gee. I can't, okay, I've got it. And so I, I like my, one th reason why I like to drive to places is because I'm alone in the car and I can talk out loud, you know? And just pray, pray, bring the spirit into the, you know, different, I'm going to a meeting, I'm driving to this, I'm getting lunch to pray and, and bring, the, bring the spirit into your daily life. Keep the conversation with the spirit going. 
tune out the flesh and tune in the spirit. I, speaking of the car, I used to always listen to Mike and Mike in the morning. I don't think it even exists anymore, but it's an ESPN sports show. But I, I've stopped listening to sports shows, all right? And instead, either listen to music or nothing at all. How about that? It can be done. Put the gifts of the Spirit to use. If the, if, the, if the Spirit indwells you, and he does if you're a believer, then he's also gifted you. F putting your gifts to use in and through the body of Christ is a way to grow in your relationship with the Spirit. So here's my challenge. My challenge isn't to give you a new list of rules to keep. My challenge is how are you going to intentionally uh, grow in your relationship with the indwelling Spirit of God? Because that's a free gift of God himself that is far better than the law and will help us to live as free children of God in obedience. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's a relationship that we grow in and he transforms us and sanctifies us as we stick with it and pursue him. Which one of these is something maybe new that you can start? Don't try tomorrow to do all of them at once. Pick one, pick one. And, and begin to develop it as a habit. The, the, the results, the fruit will be great. Just let's not go back to the law. Let's pursue the spirit together in love. <clears throat> Father God, we pray for your help with this. We thank you that you've given us yourself. Not a, not a new list of rules to keep, but instead your very presence by your spirit. And I pray that we would be motivated to know you and to live in reliance and dependence upon your power. And we don't always see or understand how you're at work in us. But as we pursue you, God, intentionally, in habits, you perform a work in us that makes us more and more like Jesus. And that is where the life is. We want it. I pray that we would pursue that. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Amen.